Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line, Matt. We're clicking along without any hiccups today. We got the Zoom card in here, the recorder's fired up, almost full battery, and it's a beautiful day in Houston, Texas, man. How's things in your world? I'll take it. Nice. For and a you, for a Monday, we survived. Yeah, right? yeah. Yes. Yes, we have. It was an eventful weekend and you were excited because you found your little recorder that apparently you'd been looking for. We were about to record and Matt jumped up with excitement. He found something in our studio here. So this is good. We have some tech tips we need to get out the door. <laughs> and this is going to be very helpful because then we can record from home or wherever with this little handy quarter. So nice. Yeah. Well, speaking of tech tips, Matt, not to put you on the spot, but have you guys been bouncing around any ideas on perhaps any topics or anything that the listeners can expect down the pipeline? Yeah, well, we're trying to make up a few shorts, some like shorter, quick, you know, just explaining things on a mud check. So Ah. what are your readings on a viscometer? How do they relate to hydraulics? Like do that in a minute or two. A lot of our other tech tips are substantial, but it's a ton of work. But there were reasons, we like the one on ES, or the one on low ECD MUDs, like the reason is because we have long conversations about those things, and yeah. we wanted to try and clear the air. And if it takes 10 minutes, we're going to make a 10-minute video. Right. But now, we'd love to have a few other just quick reference ones that we can put out without as much work Yeah. that still add some value and, and that sort of thing. So that's a lot of what you'll see, although if we have some other nagging issues, you'll hear more about those as well. We just, yeah. you know. Good idea. No, I think and when you say shorts, I don't know if you're referencing YouTube shorts, but that sort of style video that YouTube has adopted from TikTok success, Mm -hmm. I think is pretty, it's valuable. And if done correctly, A, it doesn't take nearly as much time, hopefully. And again, just through my observation, watching YouTube shorts, the production quality necessarily doesn't have to be like Hollywood style. Right. So you can put something out that's a little bit less time consuming, but as long as the the information is there, it's, it's just as valuable and hopefully takes a little more time and maybe, you know, some more volume of videos can come out and therefore it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, I mean, that's what we hope. But, you know, the other part is when you try and explain technical concepts, <laughs> you find yourself talking longer. So yeah, we just want to make sure it's up to our standards so it might not be 30 seconds. If we could get it down that clear and concise, I'd love to do it. But just something if you were like, what is that property? Or, you know, you could pull it up on your phone really quick it would be the idea. Very cool. So, no, I think that's a fantastic idea. Excited to see all that come together. So for today's topic, Matt, you know, unless you want, is there anything Astros, any high level stuff we need to discuss? Shoot, First five wins in a row. Wow. Well, that's obviously pretty big. Yankees on their double header on Thursday. And then, you know, it's sort of funny. Like the Mariners are, the whole division's pretty bad. But like the Mariners had won 14 straight. And on Twitter, the Twitter mob got a little smug, a little nasty on their side. And so to sweep them was pretty amusing. I don't think it would have been, it was like, okay, we beat the Mariners. But it became a like, really... (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> very cool well full disclosure i haven't watched a single inning of baseball this year but i am going to the game on saturday all right i'll be so, there friday okay so yeah that'll be fun i'm excited it's i think it's breggy bobblehead day or something yeah so breggy bomb you got to get there early though it's getting fierce to get those giveaways okay so how does that yeah. work you get to get there early there's only a limited amount a lot of times it's like first ten thousand fans 
And okay. that's across all the entrances. So like if you go in the main entrance, like they'll run out first. Right. So normally I'll try and go in like the outfield side uh, or one of those where there's still a lot of people, but yeah, they'll probably be the off. last to run out. So we're going to talk after this so I can get the inside scoop on how to get a Breggy bobblehead because okay. that would be super cool. Yeah. Anyway, on to the mud side of things. So again, you know, we always talk about what's happening at the rig, you know, mm. whether it's downhole stuff, whether it's equipment, whether it's personnel, but you know, a lot of the success that happens in the mud world happens not at the rig. I know, you know, you're probably going to say, well, it all happens with me and my team in the lab, which obviously that's important, Matt. But what's also important is the warehouse. I remain the center of the universe, but I'm willing to acknowledge <laughs> that the warehouse is pretty important. No, it goes back to, you know, we're nothing without our people in the field and our people in the field aren't successful without the support they get from the warehouse. You yeah. know, if you make money by putting products in the hopper, and the products aren't on the rig to put in the hopper, right? you're probably not going to last long as a mud company. Yeah, no, that's exactly. And for us, it's been really fascinating to see over the years on the expansion that we've had, you know, a number of different facilities, all the way from the Northeast, down through the Midcon, Rockies, and then, you know, now, well, Gulf Coast and Permian. And it's just, you know, it's been very exciting to see and I just don't think they oftentimes get enough credit. And so I think it'd be cool to just kind of run through what a warehouse is and, you know, sort of the high level operations on how they support, you know, the drilling rig and ultimately contribute to the success of our business. What do you think? Absolutely. Very cool. So, Matt, how would you just in general describe what a warehouse is? Because I think there's, you know, they come in all different shapes and sizes. Yeah, it's generally a distribution point for mud chemicals and products. But I also think that kind of when you think about a warehouse, you think of a physical metal building. Right. And if you go to any warehouse facility that I'm familiar with, there's also a huge yard with all kinds of other stuff going on between, you know, you store a lot of product out there. Maybe that isn't as, you know, temperamental to weather. You've got a lot of trucks going in and out. You've got offices to track all these things. And so... Yes, there's that metal building where products are stacked neatly in pallets, but a warehouse is sort of like an ecosystem for a lot of operation support mm -hmm. for the rig site. Yeah, it's almost like its own business, you know what I mean, mm -hmm. inside of a business because, yeah, you've got just – you have so many moving parts and especially – you know, when times are busy like they are now, it is nonstop trucks in and out. People, I say running around everywhere, but walking or on forklifts mm -hmm. everywhere. And it's just, it's kind of, and again, it's nonstop 24-7, just like a drilling rig. Because just because you're drilling, you know, you're, you're obviously drilling operations 24-7, you can't, and, and there are facilities that do shut down for, you know, maybe the evening or whatever. But for the most part, if a warehouse is, has enough rigs running out of it, there'll be 24-7, 24-7, 365 operations. And so you need, I mean, obviously the people to staff it and it just requires a lot of work. But ultimately, I mean, so it's a staging point. But for us, obviously we're drilling with old base mud in most basins or a lot of them it acts as a mud plant as well. And even if you're, you know, a lot of times you'll have a water-based section as well or a, a dedicated area for the water-based mud blending, but it also acts as a mud plant, doesn't it, Matt? Yes. I mean, especially with oil-based mud, it's something that normally is on an agreement where you can return it and it gets reused and reconditioned for as long as we possibly can. 
So what that means, it's a whole other aspect when you think of warehousing, which you traditionally look at dry material, chemical totes, but then add on to that that you might have oil-based mud coming back. Now you're doing a mud check on it to check what properties need to be adjusted to recondition it. It's put in a tank, it's tracked, and then when an order comes out, you're blending that with new chemical and other products. So you're storing, you know, calcium chloride brine and base oil and some of these other things, Mm -hmm. blending all that, checking it, confirming it's okay, arranging for a truck for it to go out. And so you're running a gazillion mud checks. Our busy mud plants have a mud engineer just running mud checks or two or three sometimes just for that very purpose because they also have to know how to take the stuff that's in the tanks and get it to the properties for what's needed at the rig. Yeah. And they don't match right away. So I think that's a huge part and tying into just another set of logistics. So, you know, pallets of product go out and they return to the warehouse and, you know, you might repalletize a partially used pallet. You're having tickets to, you know, not only account for trucking, but what was on those trucks. And it's all going to be reconciled with what the rig says they returned or what the rig says they need. And, you know, what was sent out. But now do that with a bunch of liquid volume too, where we all know there's some variability in a mud check. So that has to be well within reason. You've got volumes to agree on as far as what was returned. There's just a whole other facet of warehousing that comes with a mud plant. Right. And not only that, so like there's obviously a bunch of fluids management and tickets and this and that, but I mean, the amount of people required to staff these things up is, is pretty significant. And I mean, again, depending on the capacity of the warehouse and the mud plant, I mean, talk about the personnel. We talked a little bit about it, but it's not just, you know, a forklift driver and a dispatch and the rest takes care of itself. There's a lot of people involved. Absolutely. I mean, you know, beyond having so, like a mud engineer, but think about having safety personnel, like there's lifting, there's a lot of other forklift operations. There's a lot of these other things where people, if you're not careful, people could get hurt. So safety training matters, safety behavior matters. And so there's folks dedicated to some of these facilities, if not dedicated, constantly stopping by, training, all of those kinds of things. Yeah. And environmental is another aspect. So there's not only the compliance, the containment requirements, but air permitting for discharge in some places and just inspections, handling somebody with the state or with the municipality coming by and saying, how are things going? Mind if I have a look around and showing them the operation and convincing them, showing them your paperwork and convincing them that you're running a good operation. Yeah. It's contributing to the community. Of course. So, you know, I remember being in the PA when I was up there back when, you know, we had a warehouse and my plan West Decatur. And it was, from what I remember, you're kind of driving through a, you know, a suburb, you know, out in Pennsylvania. And then it just, you happen to pop up on this mud plant. And so when you have trucks hauling material in and out, you know, there's neighbors that might wonder like, Hey, what is this material? Is it hazardous? And yeah. oh my goodness, if all of a sudden you see a sack cut open on the yard, are they going to freak out? And so really it's, you know, in, depending on where you're at, you know, where we're at in West Texas, out in Kermit there, you know, you don't have people's backyards butted up against the <laughs> yard, but there are places, you know, Colorado and other places that you may have to set up a mud plant in a yard close to where people are living. And so, yeah, it just requires a ton of due diligence and making sure that you are compliant and, you know, making friends with the neighbors to make sure that, you know, they're not concerned at a, to a level where they're going to go report you if all of a sudden they see something that they, alarms them. That is really important for sure. Yeah. You know, an example of that, communities grow and 
there was a mud plant in California at my previous employer, Bakersfield, mm-hmm. and the town basically grew to reach around the mud plant. And then they started getting all these reports oh, yeah. of things. And somebody was like videotaping them at night saying that they were secretly mixing chemicals and all this stuff. And it was like, well, no, it operates 24 hours a day. Like they're just doing their job, you know? <laughs> and so they eventually moved it out of the town along the highway where they'd have some buffer because it just, it's you know, it's too much trouble, which yeah. It was a bit ironic. It was, you know, they were able to take it to a small town that was happy to have the jobs and all that. But it was just, you know, another example of, you know, trying to handle those things. Yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, going back to personnel. So you've got people who are, you know, plant operators who are doing the manual mixing, you know, dispatchers handling all these trucks, keeping track of who's on location and who's not and which truck needs what product and where they're supposedly going. And, Keep in mind, it's not always your company may arrange the trucks, but there's also a good chance that the operator may want to handle their own trucks. And so you've got to work out arrangements through them. Yep. It gets complicated fast. Yeah. And so you just think about a very busy operation. It's a lot more people than you'd think. If you're busy and you want to make sure that, you know, everything is running smoothly, spick and span, it takes people and it takes really dedicated people. It does. No, I had the pleasure of, of spending, I think it was a week at our buoy warehouse back when we did the old mud school. I think it was one of the first ones we did. But anyway, it was just, it was interesting, you know, just getting to know and build relationships with the people that were working at the warehouse. It's one thing to work, you know, in a remote area or in a small town that you're not familiar with, but it's another to work in a warehouse where, yeah, things are happening 24 seven and it takes a little bit of, you know, grunt work and you got to be very organized and you do have to take pride in what you're doing because it's, everyone's waiting on the warehouse. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I call in for an order and now we're waiting on a warehouse and trucks. And so it was just neat to kind of get to see it firsthand. And, you know, and even right now with just how challenging it is, you know, in general to find good help and labor, I don't think the folks out at the warehouse get a lot of enough credit and a lot of them move to go work in these remote areas just because of an opportunity. And a lot of times, you know, they're away from their families and away from your loved ones or whatever. So yeah, it was just kind of eye-opening when I got to experience that firsthand. And But anyway, yeah, with personnel, just like anything, anyone out in the field, yeah, it's just always, it's just always so great to see people when you go to a warehouse that they're smiling and actually enjoy it. I think it's yeah. extremely important that we build a good culture around not only just the office or the rigs, but the warehouse is especially important. Yeah, well, I mean, it's hard work and it's, you know, that was one of the interesting things. I mean, when we expanded our Kermit facility and I was talking to the manager there and I said, how hard is it to get people and and all that kind of thing? And he was, you know, 100% confident. It was like, just let me build my core team and everybody like will have the right people with the right values. Mm. But I I, like, I need that critical mass of people and then it'll be really easy to bring on the rest because- they're going to want people working side by side with them that kind of fit our culture. So building up that critical mass really mattered. And today, I mean, the facility is world-class. Yeah. The other part of it is I think that the warehouse, one of the things, I mean, you know, with Chris, I really admire him with the number of people he has to manage as an engineering manager and all of that. I think one of the best moves on the training program is that you start out at the warehouse before you go to mud school. Yeah. And I think that's phenomenal just because number one, if you go out in the field, you've built these relationships with the people that you're going to be counting on the most to do your job. Yep. 
And then number two, it's if you can't get along with those people at the warehouse, then how are you going to get along with a rig crew like that doesn't work for the same company you do? Yeah, that's um, a great point. It's a great sort of proving ground for folks. And so all of that, I think, you know, sort of speaks to the whole organism that is the warehouse because it sort of feeds into everything. And then keep in mind, like it's got an inventory to manage too, right? You don't mm. want too much product, but you never want to run out. Well, that's a whole nother, you know, story. And it's another topic in itself is just the inventory management. Yeah. I mean, you know, you've got to, one, make sure the old stuff goes out. So it, uh, you know, the stuff in the back doesn't sit for three years and rot in the sun. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of it is, you know, besides cycling through and making sure that you're using the oldest product first, there's just the sheer, you know, tracking all this inventory and, do we need to manufacture more product? Do we need to order from a vendor? Like, when do I pull the trigger to receive a whole truck? Yeah. Because I don't want to do that too soon and have to figure out a place to put it in the yard. Right. But I certainly don't want to wait around and find out I'm not going to have enough. Yeah. And it would be awesome to have someone from supply chain come on the podcast and just talk, you know, just very sort of in general, like how that all works. It just, you think about typically when you're using consumables and industrial applications, a lot of it you can forecast out because you have, whether it be contracts in place or you know what your output needs to be, therefore you can plan for how much material you need. But the burn rates on a drilling rig, (laughs) I mean, you don't know from one day to the next, depending on how the well is going. So yeah, you're using data that, you know, you can somewhat use to project how much you're going to use, but it's somewhat of a crapshoot. Well, absolutely. Especially, I mean, think about when somebody has a serious well control event or they're on losses. Yeah. I mean, you know, you hear about it, but it's like, yep, cleaned out the mud plant. And it's just one of those, I don't have any inventory to work with. I got to build all this fresh, which means I need more product than I usually go through. Yeah, There's certain contingencies like that because one rig had a problem that was that severe. Yeah, You know, and, and I mean, we've certainly seen aspects of this on some more serious well control situations where it's all hands on deck, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, it can get spicy out there and everyone has to be on their toes. Lastly, Matt, so... You know, it's one thing for us as a company, and, and we're very fortunate to be to have built our own mud plants. And so we run them, we manage them, and, and they're ours. But there are cases where either we go to remote areas or companies aren't in that position. And so you have to use third-party warehouses and mm-hmm. third-party mud plants, which all operate somewhat the same, although they may, instead of just working for one mud company, they might work for a bunch. You know, it presents some challenges there. But can you speak a little bit on the third-party warehousing Stuff? Yeah, I mean, you know, so the reason we like to have our own facilities is because we do have that control over the culture, over who we're working with, you know, all those things. And so I would just say that, you know, for us, it's the risk of rig time. If that plant gets backed up because somebody else is using that same third party and called in ahead, you're kind of stuck waiting. And for us, if we can talk to all the rigs and say, look, when do you really need this? okay, well, I've got one that it's going to cut in line because we've got an urgent situation on our hands. But like, we can still get it to everybody when the rigs need it operationally. When we have to wait and we're subject to not being a priority or just being one of many, that can be an issue. And then certainly if there's ever questions or concerns about quality or you know condition or anything like that, it's all under our supervision. Mm-hmm. And that's why we aren't necessarily, you know, it has to be the right relationship and it has to be the right situation to work through a third party yeah. just because there are risks to it. And if you have enough activity, you know, there are probably risks not worth taking for us. But there's obviously the other part of it. If you don't have to go find these employees, right? You don't have to do a number of these other things that, 
you know, it's a lot of work to have a good quality facility. But, you know, the other nice part about it is most of the people who built and designed and operate our stuff have been mud engineers. They know what the rigs need firsthand. And so I think we have a really finely tuned set of facilities that is a benefit for AES that we can, you know, we can certainly leverage and be really proud about and our customers value. Yeah. Um, no, it, it's so. certainly good. And, you know, as an account manager, just being able to go to bed at night and knowing that product's going to get delivered to the rig throughout the night or the morning, the day, whatever, Christmas day, it's fascinating. And again, the I'm just extremely grateful to have those, you know, that at our fingertips. Yeah, I can't imagine, you know, we're always talking about communication and communication is really important, but it's also one of those things, it's a lot easier if you have those relationships. And I just can't imagine what it would be like, you know, not to say it can't be done, but it's a lot harder when it's not the same team necessarily. And you need to maybe over communicate how serious the situation is or get an update and no one calls you back or any of those kinds of things. There's just, there's nobody to reach out to with a third party sometimes. Yeah. So not to say they can't be helpful and not to say that, you know, we're totally immune to using a third party, but I think I've illustrated our reluctance. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, no, I think it was good to cover that. And Matt, I don't have anything else on the mud plant side. I mean, if anyone out there has any questions and wants us to maybe get into more detail on certain things, of course, reach out. Matt, do you have any closing last words for the audience? I mean, I just think I would want to thank our warehouse people for being so awesome at what they do. You know, Nate's got an amazing team. We had him on the podcast very early on, and he got to talk about some of the things, but between all the guys who are looking after all these things, we have a fantastic team. I love working with them, and I'm very grateful that I get to call them colleagues. Yeah. So. No, I couldn't have said it better myself, Matt. And if anyone's interested, you know, whether it's mud engineers or someone out there who's interested on our facilities, reach out to myself or Matt. We always love to brag and show our goodies. So, But with that said, for the audience, thank you so much for listening. You can reach us on LinkedIn. Matt and I are very active on there. Or you can hit us up on email at Podcast at aesfluids.com. Please review and subscribe. And until next time, take care, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.